Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. So if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, you okay, honey? Need a hug? <laughs> Luke chapter 15 is where we're headed. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the baskets underneath the chairs around the room. And version app is up and running today as well. If you do a local search, uh, you'll see TSF in today's date, and that will get you your, your notes together. But as most of you know, we've been in the uh, life of Jesus now for about a year and a half. Right now, we're specifically looking at the parables of Jesus. And it, we've, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but there's been a little bit of a progression within the areas that we have looked at so far. We've got, uh, we really kind of dabbled in when it came to the kingdom of God. Again, parables bringing two things side by side so we can uh, understand things that are kind of outside our realm where he brings something familiar and then brings something unfamiliar like the kingdom of God to try to explain or kind of get our heads around what it would, it's like to live the kingdom of God now. Um, versus just looking at, oh, someday I get to go to heaven, but that we can actually dig into that freedom now and how that experience works. Uh, from there, we have talked about humility when we talked about the banquets and choosing the, the proper places, those type of things, because humility is huge to be able to go into that kingdom of, of heaven mentality, that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, then he can lift us up. And um, it's a lot more beneficial than trying to lift ourselves up. And we've seen that repeated time and time again. Last week, as we talked about the difference between poverty and wealth, how we see it versus how God sees it, is part of that humility and being able to, to have him move within that. Th today, we're going to look at, uh, originally I was calling it lost and found. I think it, I'd rather call it the value. What's the, the value of things? How God sees value versus how we see value. And that's what we're going to find within these particular parables that we're covering today. Now, we've also been, uh, there's been a system that we've been using, the characteristics of a parable, that I suggest at the beginning, again, this is a newer uh, tool to me. I'm not 100% convinced that it matches up to all parables, but so far it has been. Uh, and so I wanted you to have it so you can do studies at home as well. But that in parables, it seems that there's always the familiar what we're used to, then the unfamiliar, those two things going side by side, how God sees things, and then taking that unfamiliar and overlaying it to how we see things so that we can be challenged by the way we see things, or that we can grow in the way we see things. Uh, so when it goes back to the familiar, and then there's always kind of an unexpected aspect within that, and then there's also a question to consider whether or not Jesus asks it specifically, or whether or not it's something that's kind of hanging there for us to answer. Uh, and I think today, I want to make sure you have that, but I'm not going to have that be our main structure. I've been kind of, I started out with that main structure to kind of get us all used to it so we can study the parables at home uh, that, that way, but it doesn't really fit with what I think the, the Spirit's kind of calling us to or the flow that, that's within it. Um, so we'll, we'll use some of these tones, but we're not going to go boom, 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 boom. So I'm going to suggest and encourage and uh, whatever that you do take these three parables home. There's two kind of shorter ones and one meat and potatoes and go through the characteristics to go deeper into what we have uh, today. And it's my hope you do that because last week we talked about homework 
We talked about a voice that was going to be really kind of tough. And they got to explore that out and then touch base with me. And not a single one of you did it. <laughs> did you? Well, okay, so, so C plus. C plus. <laughs> Fs. Okay, so I'm just kidding. But anyway, so but go d- deeper with, with those and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what we find. But for now, I'm just going to read a little, talk a little in these particular areas that have to do with value and uh, see what we find. So starting out verse, fifth, uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, we are going to have the setting. We're going to, uh, it's always important to look at the context, look at who's involved, uh, what maybe the heart behind it is, so we don't apply it incorrectly. Uh, but verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all dwelling near to Jesus, to be able to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, or the religious leaders, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we've seen different times, just depending on who he's talking to, the different parables. Uh, This time it's a mix. We've got tax collectors who nobody liked, uh, not just because they collected taxes, but because they turned their back on their own people. Uh, Sinners is just kind of a catch-all phrase of people who are not... Uh, clean, or th- those who are not following the law. And then you got the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders who are, have it all together as far as uh, they want people to perceive. And within this mix of things, we see that the religious um, leaders are pretty disgusted that he is receiving and eating with those who are messed up, those that are misfits from their perspective. And so as they grumble to the side, and this happens often in the Gospels, if you ever uh, look at it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, oftentimes Jesus answers people that are nowhere near him and not speaking to him. Uh, and so I find that interesting. Uh, so anyways, that's what happens here. In verse 3 it says, Jesus decided to tell them a parable. So back to the side by side. And he says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, and this would be shocking at the time. Again, rabbis generally did not uh, consider women at a level that they used within their illustrations. Jesus was awesome. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We have a couple of familiars here. They understand what they're talking about, about losing a sheep, and they understand shepherding. They understand what it means if you lose a coin and you're destroying the house or whatnot. But there's also another level of familiarity within who he's speaking to. The crowd can listen, but he's specifically addressing the Pharisees and religious leaders. There's a familiarity that they would have that would make us much more of a pointed, um, not attack, but address. Where with the Pharisees, with the scribes, with Sadducees, religious leaders, those who have grown up within the temple, those who know the, the Old Testament frontwards and backwards, um, are going to immediately, when he's talking about shepherding, 
go to uh, their understanding of a section in Ezekiel where God is passing judgment on the religious leaders at the time. And he is, um, in, in Ezekiel, and this was an important time for them, he is admonishing the religious leaders because they are not being good shepherds. This, this would be something that would come up to mind with them. I think these are, did I put the scripture in there for a small section of Ezekiel? Okay. Uh, th this is a section that would, would come into the mindset uh, where God is speaking to the religious leaders and he says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks his own flock, when he is among his sheep that, he have, that, that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And there, there's more to that, and I think I gave that to you in version if you, if you have version up as well. But this, this really kind of captures what would be in their mind. There, there's a concept, uh, basically, that kind of helped me to understand my role, um, where... There's the shepherd, and there's only one shepherd, right? That's Christ. And then there's the sheep. And, like, it became curious, like, okay, so where do pastors fall? Where do elders fall? Where do Pharisees and Sadducees fall at this time? And the, the, if you look at how shepherding works in that, that culture, uh, there's what's called under-shepherds. They don't own the sheep. They work for the shepherd who watches them from a higher point, but they're over a certain segment thereof. So here what God is saying to them is, you're not doing your job as under-shepherds, so I'm going to come down and do it. I'll seek the sheep. I'll bring the sheep together. And here, once again, what is Jesus saying? As they're bringing this back into the mindset, I have come because you guys aren't doing the job. I have come to bring the, the, the tax collectors. I've come to bring the sinners. I've come to bring the misfits together because you guys aren't doing it. You guys aren't loving. You guys are worried about tradition. You're worried about position. And so this is a very, um, very challenging address that he's having with them. But the unfamiliar brings in, uh, happens in verse 7 and verse 10. What they're not expecting is just so I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You're complaining about who I'm eating with. I'm going to let you know that God, right now, just one of the people that I'm ha having fellowship with, takes and turns his life over to Christ. If they accept him as leader and forgive in their life by acknowledging at the mouth he's the son of God, believing in the heart you died and rose again, you're God, I'm not, I'm following you. There is more fiesta in heaven over that one than all the Pharisees and scribes sitting there thinking, I've got it together. Does that make sense? That's unexpected for them. The, the other one, verse 10, uh, the partnering on with that. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He has moved from two different levels. He went from one out of a hundred and one out of ten, and the only thing that stays consistent is the one. The one. You are valuable. That's how God looks at it, that you are valuable. So the question really comes in, if we're kind of thinking of some of those aspects, when the Pharisees are saying, uh, this man receives sinners and eats with them, Jesus is saying, why aren't you? That's, that's the throwback. Is what, what, What's the problem that you're not over here with us? What, what's the problem with you not be living the, the same way? So uh, the other thing I kind of note in this, if you were with us when we went through uh, the kingdom of God once, I think we're going to revisit that here in a few weeks uh, from a different perspective. But 
uh, when Jesus was giving the parables, trying to explain the kingdom of God, do you remember how it was building and like his excitement was building? Uh, that that the, the the different examples had is like he was he's like I, I don't know how to explain this with you guys' words I don't like it's like a, a pearl of great value and you sell everything else to get it but now you're still not getting it it's it's like a, a field and you find a treasure and you sell everything to get that field because you want that treasure you sacrifice everything for that one thing and that's the that's the kingdom of God he's kind of got this building excitement trying to get to us what it's like to have the kingdom of God living. Uh, in this one, I see a building as well. Maybe you don't, but I do. Uh, but I think it's almost a uh, building frustration more than an excitement um, when, he, when he looks at this. When he's t telling them, let's talk about the sheep. Wouldn't you do something about the sheep? Let's talk about, about this uh, lost coin. Wouldn't you do something? Let, let's, let's talk about the, the, the prodigal son. You, you guys are killing me. You guys are killing me because you're not seeing what value is. You're not seeing how God sees things. You're sitting there with your judgment. You're sitting there with your attitude. Uh, and so as he continues to build into that, he moves from the 1 out of 100 and 1 out of 10 into 1 out of 2. And so let's read that section. And this is kind of the meat and potatoes of it. Again, probably one of the most famous parables, uh, but for very, very good reason. Uh, there's so much in here. Okay, so let's start with it. Verse 11. And then he says... <clears throat> there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So just starting out wise, he took everything that the father had for him. He took every dime, penny, whatever, whatever. He took everything that the father had for him. Uh, he did it in a vicious way. He basically is saying to dad, I wish you were dead. And I don't feel like waiting until you're not breathing anymore. I want everything now. I just want rid of this family. I want rid of you. I want everything. And in this particular uh, culture, again, the oldest son would get half of what the dad has, and then everything else would be divided up equally amongst the rest of the siblings. But here there's only two. So he takes half of everything that dad has uh, while dad's still living, and dad's still productive. And he leaves, and he goes to another country. What does the saying? He goes to a Gentile country. He leaves his Jewish community. He le leaves the law behind. He lives a life and just squanders everything that he had gotten from his father that he has left behind. Um, we can assume some of those things. I'm sure the party was involved in that. I think you know, alcohol is probably a big part of that. Just whatever made him feel good in the moment. He traded in his father's best for whatever he had. We do know from a voice later on that he did uh, spend quite a bit of money on prostitutes. Uh, but he just squandered all of it onto the world until the world didn't have anything left for him. And the famine hit, and now he's not just in the Gentile community, he's working, he's partnering with somebody that's in the Gentile community uh, in a way that working for him, it wasn't just like, hey, can I get, you know, some basic wage or whatever, but he's basically putting himself in kind of a slavery-type position, and he's working with pigs, which is a huge no-no for the Jewish community at the time. That's a huge, uh, unclean animal. You don't eat it. You don't touch it. You have to go through rituals to get clean again and go back in the synagogue. You never touch a pig, let alone are you working in the middle 
of the, the, the pig pens, slop and slop. If it's the worst of the worst you can be as a good Jewish boy. And now he's so hungry, he doesn't even not mind the pigs, but he wants to eat the slop that they eat. And he's envious of them. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, he took everything the father had, traded it in, and then by the end the world says, we've got nothing for you. We could kill us about you. And some of us have been there. My guess is we have all been there at some point, at some level. But, but, but we understand that. The decisions that we make sometimes put us into harm's way, and we understand trading our daddy's best for what the world has for us, and it's a falling short. This is where this young man is at. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, I'm sorry, heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, fortunately, he thought now, when he came to himself, that, that means when he came to his senses. That's, that's basically what that means from a little standpoint. When he finally came to his senses, when he finally realized what was real and what was not, then he said, something's got to change. Something's got to change. And so a plan is hatched with very low expectation. He's not planning on going home and being part of the family again. He's wanting to come as a, a low servant. Um, he realizes his need, but he doesn't realize his worth. And I, I think we see that uh, way too much in our own lives. But it's a start. Not, not to sound goofy, I, I, but there are people that turn to the Lord when everything else has fallen apart. That's good. Turn to him. There's people that turn to the Lord because of loneliness. There's people that turn to the Lord because of conviction. Conviction's not a bad thing. Conviction is just an invitation to, to come to him and get grace, and it's gone. You're never meant to live in guilt. It's just an invitation to turn to him. There are people that come to him because of fear. He'll start there with you. He'll start there. And that's, that's what we, we, we see here. I remember uh, I passed around not too long ago a uh, video, and other people have, and you've probably seen it from other people too, of like a, a little video uh, clip of an interview with Alice Cooper. Uh, if you don't know who Alice does anybody not know who Alice Cooper is? Okay, I don't have to explain who he is, but uh, he, he's an icon in, in rock music, as you know, and uh, he was one when I was in high, early high school that all the adults were telling me you need to burn all of his albums and run away because he's a demon and all this other stuff. Um, and then uh, he, you know, messed with everybody by you know, turning his life over to the Lord. And, uh, and he uses his platform to, to reach out to people for, for Christ. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story if you want to go more deeper into it. But in this particular interview, he was saying, I know a lot of people turned to the Lord because of his love. He goes, I did not. He goes, I turned to the Lord because I was scared. I, I saw what Satan had. I was scared of Satan. That's why I turned to the Lord. Then later, I learned his love. Later, I had a personal relationship with but starting out. Whatever is the catalyst, God will meet us there. And we, we see this very clearly in this particular place. Um, again, whenever we humble ourselves, uh, the Lord lifts us up. If you've not seen that theme over and over again from James 4, it's definitely, definitely re repetitive. Another um, 
theme that you see in this, Luke is really good with, give, with uh, literary writing. I don't know if that's a spirit thing or Luke was, because Luke, again, was an educated man. But you get some hints oftentimes with Luke, depending on what words he chooses. But when you look at verse 18, uh, it says, I will arise and go to my father. When you look at verse 20, he arose and came to his father. Uh, he's hinting to you what's about to happen. He's about to be risen up. He's about to humble himself and be risen up. That's a, a very strong Luke trait um, that he does. The unexpected in all this is not really the son, though. The unexpected is the father. The, they, they, they would be completely baffled, and we're going to see that his other son really is baffled by his father. The father has lost half of everything, and he's lost his son. And if you're a good parent, the half of everything doesn't matter anywhere near as much as losing your son. I know people whose kids have looked them in the face and said, I wish you were dead, and meant it. Or have walked away from the family. Very p painful situation to be in. That God does work within, but very painful situation to be in. And yet, it appears that he is sitting out on the front porch day after day looking to see if his son's going to come home. It appears that why he needs to be rebuilding his business or his empire, that he is constantly looking across the field, constantly looking across the horizon, praying, it's the day of the day that I'll see my boy coming home. That would be shocking to them. He doesn't deserve that. He should have just been written off and focused on what he had. Then, to, to see the, the sun coming and to um, realize that that is his son. He doesn't sit there and wait for the sun to come up and so he can say, I told you so. Uh, and, and maybe I'm bad, but there, there's been times, in my, uh, I guess I'm admitting since my child was in here, but there, there's times that your kids, kids do something stupid and you keep telling them, Just don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and by the 17th time you find like, yeah, go ahead, touch that. Okay, uh, and then they get hurt, and they come to you, and they're crying. They're like, oh, if you listen to me, right? Um, I think that's natural, but that's not what the father did, and he had a much big, bigger situation. Uh, he ran to his son. Now, once again, Pharisees and scribes are shocked. You do not run. A good Jewish man does not run. To do so in those robes means you have to tuck those robes up into your belt so that you can run. Have you ever seen, like, let's say we're watching The Chosen. We, uh, Den, Denny's been going through season one again. And uh, I was watching. You never see Nicodemus and his boys run anywhere. Like, oh, so you've got to come. There's this demon-possessed woman who keeps on beating 11 daylights out of everybody in the red district. Let's go. This is an emergency. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 it's unheard of. But this father runs to him. He's, he can't wait for the son to get to him. He's all over it, and he runs to his son. And then you'll notice that the son, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've, I've rehearsed uh, my spills in, in different conflicts. Uh, the son, who's been the entire trip coming up with this speech to give, starts into the speech, and he doesn't realize that father has already embraced him and is kissing him and is going crazy that his son came home because he has great value to him. You see that? Verse 22, and I, I, I love these words. Verse 17 had it, 22 has it. Uh, it's the word but, and I love the word but in the scripture, or therefore, or 
because of this. There's always these really cool changes. Um, he, he didn't have his senses, but when he came to his senses, and now, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but, verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. You, you realize he's not even listening to the kid. That's how excited he is. Bring, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found and they began to celebrate. The father not for an instant even considered the servant idea. There's no way you're going to be my servant. You're my boy. You're my son. You're my child. I love you dearly. So he gets the best robe. He gets the ring. He gets the shoes. He gets the fattened calf. He begins to celebrate. This is basically Luke 2 incarnate uh, into a parable. When the angels show up to the shepherds and say, I bring you good news. I bring great joy for all the people. This is the news. That no matter what we've done, no matter where we're at, no matter what falls apart, that you turn to daddy for whatever reason, daddy is running to grab you. He's just waiting for that time. I, I, I've, I've heard it before, and, and I still love this image, that there were, when we're really off track, um, there's a lot of people who think that God's sitting back in his throne, like ready to, to pound on you, or ready to, I told you so. But I, I'm still convinced he's leaning at the front of his throne, watching your foot as you have your back to him, just waiting for your foot to just barely start to turn as you turn back to him, and he's off that throne and runs and grabs you and loves you. This is the image that, that we have, have here. And those who are in the crowd that are the religious leaders, not the religious leaders, but the tax collectors and the sinners, their only response to this is, wow. Wow. We've never heard this from a religious leader. We've never heard the side of God before. Pharisees and scribes might not be all that happy. But Jesus decides to address that as well. 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. In this moment, the older brother wants to strangle this servant who's too excited. Because, verse 28, he was angry. This is where the word but goes in the opposite direction. There's a celebration, but he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, you, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. He's of great value, just like you are, son. Just like you are, son. And this is where he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is, or the, the, the scribes. This is where he's taking and trying to reach out to them, because this is a familiar attitude that we have. This is like going back last week. Again, far too often, when someone passes away, there's whiff in the family over inheritance junk. Um, and we can kind of understand 
everybody trying to get their rights. But we're not a people who are fighting for our rights. We are people who lay down our rights for what's best for the kingdom. And so here he's trying to reach out to them a little bit. And again, give him some credit. The older son was in the field while the dad was out on the front porch watching for the son that disappeared on him. He was never consulted by the other son on whether or not he cared or what he felt about with the inheritance being ripped out from underneath him. He's the one that's still working and trying to rebuild everything. He, there's definitely, from a human standpoint, a lot of things that we kind of are familiar with. He's upset. It's his worldly senses. Um, but doesn't mean he's right. But the thing that um, I think is beautiful is he's not the only son the father comes to. We always talk about him running to the, the prodigal. He comes out to address this son. Son, it's beautiful. My son is back. Your brother's back. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. He's appealing to the Pharisees. He's not just appealing to the Pharisees, but the scribes. And he's not just appealing to them, but to us sometimes. To us sometimes. You tell me that Jeffrey Dahmer, if he took and got saved right before they executed him, that he's going to be in the same heaven that I'm going to be in. Yeah, he might be your neighbor. You're telling me that pain in the butt person that I have always hated in my life has always treated me like crap and they took and accepted Jesus on their deathbed. I'm going to have to put up with them up, upstairs. They might be putting up with you. I don't, I don't know. But grace that actually changes things cannot be cheap. Grace that actually changes things cannot be cheap. He's paid the price and we need to be able to follow into that as well. So he, he, he's, he's very clear in it. But he, the one thing he's not clear about is he's not really clear in how things end because it just kind of stops there. Um, I told you about this book. It's one of the resources I'm using in my study, The Challenge of Jesus' Parables. And there's a quote in here of a guy named uh, Joel Green. I'd love to tell you about Joel, but we don't have the time and I know nothing about him. Um, LAUGHTER but he does say this, he says, scribes and Pharisees are invited to find themselves represented in the parable as the eldest son. And I think we are in the different places of our life are invited as well. Um, they were responsible, they were obedient, it would seem, but failing in their solidarity with the redemptive purpose of God, where they identify with God's will and, having done so, join repentant sinners at the table, putting aside their own concerns with status and recognition where they accept as members of the family of God those who God accepts, or refusing to embrace God's gracious calculus, which works to include those who return to him, where they exclude themselves from the family of God, the parable is open-ended, and so is the invitation. I think we have two invitations on there, depending on where you find yourself within this story. Whether or not we will return to him, or whether or not we'll start acting like him when it comes to those that are within our mission fields. Those are within our families. Those are the people that we care about. One of the things I love about our church family is I don't have to feel like I have to do this message every week because you guys are great people. But there's so much more that we can grow in. And there's so many little areas of our lives that we can struggle in. I, I've got, uh, I was debating if I was going to share this, this much or not, uh, but this plays out in so many different ways. Um, I have shared very vaguely uh, before that there was a fellow uh, pastor in town that uh, I have struggled, struggled with and three years ago kind of all came to a head um, and revealed 
from my perspective, some very ugly attitude on his end to the point that I um, do not feel that he is biblically um, qualified to be a, to be a pastor. And one thing that I learned the hard way is that when we don't humble ourselves, God will humble us, and it's a very painful process. So in my older age, I decided at that point to let there be a divide uh, so it's a little uncomfortable because it's not something you just sweep under the rug and pretend like nothing happens and so everybody's happy. Uh, there needs to be some uncomfortability, but I've been praying fervently for three years for him and his family and his church that God would um, help him humble himself in repentance. Not that I'm always perfect because I pretty much screw up every day, but in this situation that God would humble him in repentance because when God has to lay us out to make us look up, it won't just be painful for him. It would be painful for his wife. It would be painful for his kids. It would be painful for his church. It would be painful for their community uh, and all the, all the, th the things that they do within the community. Um, this past week, I got an email from him for the first time in three years and said that he would like to have lunch. Um, my first response is, about what? Because I don't want to go through that again. I, uh, the, the, if, if it's a good thing, great. But if it's just another round, I just I have no interest. Um, and he did respond, I owe you an apology. And so we're meeting Tuesday uh, at 11. If you guys would keep us in prayer, I would greatly appreciate that. I'm praying for discernment on what is real and what might be show for other reasons. Um, but I have a, a decent feel that this might be real. And... So I look at this aspect of things, and if I'm honest, there's part of me that doesn't want it to be real, because there's a human side of me that just doesn't like the situation. I'm still ticked about what happened. I'm still ticked about how it affected my family. I, uh, but grace that changes everything cannot be cheap. And so we follow that. So what is your invitation today? To give him an area of your life that you've been holding on to yourself? To give up control, period, and submission to him for the first time? Or to humble yourself and stop looking down on other people, no matter what they've done, no matter how they smell, no matter how they look, no how much money they have, or how much money they don't have, and see them the way Christ sees them? Because even out of the one of the two, he always goes down to the one, and that one is you. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or, better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.